Amen. Thank you, Brad, Amy, Abby, so very much. Chris Tomlin is an amazingly gifted artist in writing some of those songs, and, and Brad is very gifted at being able to communicate them. Justin is on his way to a conference, worship conference this weekend. A lot of information I want to give you. I don't know who steals the air from the room right before I go to get up. Anybody know? Because I can't get enough when I stand here. It's just an overwhelming feeling to stand before you every Sunday. I'm honored to do that, but I'm always overwhelmed. I don't know how God continues to bless us so much with such great speakers over and over, but he does. Two weeks from now, on this Sunday morning, on October the 28th, probably one of the greatest missionary evangelists I've ever heard will be here. Name is John Bechtel. Been here a few years ago, a number of years ago, actually way back in our old sanctuary. Incredibly gifted speaker in China, a missionary in China and Taiwan. Uh, Has just been around the block and has heard God do some amazing things. God do some amazing things. Speaking at Camp of the Woods the last number of years, and we're just honored to have him here coming in two weeks from today. So please be here for that. You will not want to miss that. Tonight, you do not want to miss as well. Brigitte Gabriel has been listed as one of the top 50 prominent women speakers in the world. Prominent speakers in the world. Women or men. Years ago, she grew up in Beirut, Lebanon. You'll hear her story tonight. And was there at the first bombing. Spent a number of months in the hospital recovering from that. After 9-11, really concerned for America and where it's going, concerned with what may happen to us, concerned with a war we may be in and what that will look like in the future, began Act for America. She's the founder and president of Act for America, an opportunity to restore not only religious values, but our strength as a nation. She speaks all over the country and around the world. She's spoken to some of the highest level of people you can possibly imagine on CNN and Fox News as an analyst, and now here tonight at Community Alliance. I'm still trying to wrap my head around all the places she's been, and now she's going to be here tonight. Because she speaks all around the world, and especially on a very sensitive subject, radical Islam and the Muslim Brotherhood and what that may mean to us as a nation, it's a very sensitive issue. In light of the last few weeks with our embassy being taken over and our ambassador being killed and and some of the hatred for America around the world, they've asked us, like they always do, to take really secure measures to make sure we have a very secure environment for them and for our people. And so they called us months ago when we booked it and said, would you uh, use some police officers to help you make sure the environment is very secure and right thing. They don't know what Butler's like. They just simply do this all over the world and ask it in every situation to be the same. We're gifted and blessed by having some great police officers who work well in our community. And so they developed a plan, and the plan is this, and this is what I'm asking you to do if you're coming tonight. How many of you are planning on coming tonight? We are hoping for an amazing crowd, and we're asking you to cooperate with us so that we can do it well and do it based on what they have asked us to do and what our police officers have asked us to do. Last Sunday morning in a first service, and please don't be angry with me, but last Sunday morning in a first service, I handed out a yellow card like this. What we want to do is control our parking so that we can make sure that we do it fast and do it well. Everybody with a yellow card, I was able to give out some in this service as well, but everyone with a yellow card, we're asking to park in this lot. If you do not have one, which most of you don't, and I hope you still love me after this, we're asking you to park down below beyond the youth center. It just allows the traffic to go in fast and flow well. We know exactly who's in every spot, and they're all filled quickly and immediately with, with cars and vehicles and people that we know. So... This lot, yellow tag only. If you come, don't get mad or don't get angry. 
Just if you don't have one of those, go down below. Everyone will come in either that entrance or the cafe entrance. The other one will be locked only for handicapped. You'll be able to use the elevator. If you're handicapped this morning and need a pink card, we have one for you. If you've been asked by me to volunteer to help us out in a variety of majors, we have orange cards available to you, and you will park back here behind the church. And everyone else down below, down by the youth center, all of you will come in up that walkway. It's a beautiful day. I mean, could God give us a better day or not? Beautiful day. You'll enjoy the walk. And we're asking you to come up, and everybody will come in the cafe entrance. Okay? Police officers will be here. Butler County Sheriff's Department is being here. Uh, back, like in every secure environment, bags are subject to search. So if you don't want that to happen, you need to leave yours at home. Uh, if you leave it in your car, obviously you'll, have, you'll be liable for that. But uh, we're just simply doing exactly what they've asked us to do. And we hope you'll cooperate and really do it well and be pleased with everything. We're also asking, we put in the extra row this morning. And I forgot when I walked in, I'm thinking, this is not right. Something's wrong. We put the extra row in this morning when you all leave today. We're going to fill this auditorium and hopefully have a 1,000 seats. The overflow will be in the, the legacy room in the cafe, which has a delay, so that's a little bit difficult. Beyond that, we'll have to turn people away. So pray that we have exactly 987 people that come tonight. <laughs> Would you do that for me? So that we don't make anyone angry like we do every once in a while at Christmas Eve when we turn people away. It's just all we can do. We, we can't do anything else. We can't add an extra event for her tonight. So we're just praying for a great crowd and a great event. We pray that you'll cooperate with us. If normally on a Sunday you leave your vehicle here in this parking lot, go out somewhere with your family, today we're asking you to take it with you and not leave any in the parking lot up here uh, tonight so that we can have it filled. The doors will open at 5. This is the other thing we're asking you to do. Come in and fill the front first from the front to the back. And leave the back for latecomers and uh, visitors and that. None of this would, I'm sure you think, goes with logic as to how we normally do church. But we're honoring their requests and honoring those who have given us advice on how to do an event like this. So it makes sense? You're all willing to do that? Thank you. Anybody who isn't? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I would, I, again, please pray for an amazing event tonight. And very attentive ears. Uh, that you'll hear what God wants to say to you. And then... Next Sunday morning, I have the responsibility of putting this morning's message, tonight's event, together with what God's Word says about all of these issues next Sunday morning and bring this issue to conclusion. So stay with us in this journey together as we walk through the Word of God. As I begin this morning, I want to say one thing up front. If you've ever felt like you've messed up too bad for God to use you, whether it was a non-believer going your own way or going the wrong way, or as a follower of Christ, you felt at some point you failed miserably, do me a favor, keep Peter and Paul in mind. As these guys, I'm sure, would have never imagined that God in all of their mistakes and all of their miscues and all of their going their own direction and going the other way could have never imagined that God was going to use them to write some of the most profound sections of Scripture anyone could have ever imagined. If you would have come to Peter after he blew it in that garden and denied that he ever even knew Jesus and said, Peter, just know this, one day you're going to write some of the most powerful sections of Scripture anyone has ever read, I doubt if he would have ever believed it. If you would have talked to Paul running away from God and doing his own thing and persecuting Christians to say, Paul, I just want you to know you will be one of the most amazing missionaries the planet has ever known and you will write truth 
that will change people's lives forever. He wouldn't have believed it. And so just when you think that maybe God couldn't use you or is done with you or you're not sure if you could ever do what God is calling you to do, I just want you to every once in a while keep these guys in mind. This morning as we unpack 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17, I want to remind you of the context, and that is that Peter is writing to people who are going through some very difficult circumstances. Very difficult circumstances in extremely uncertain times. They're not sure of even where they belong or where home is or where they fit into society. And they're living under an extremely evil and extremely unpredictable ruler. And to that group of people, Peter writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning of verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Whether the emperor is the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right, for it is God's will that by doing so you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but never use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Or as the King James Version says, fear God, honor the king. Over the last number of months, I've been reading to you the parallel section of Scripture out of the message, and it reads this way. Friends, this world isn't your home, so don't make yourself so cozy in it. And don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life so that when everyone sees it, they'll be won over to God's side, and they'll be able to then join in a celebration when he returns. Make the master proud. By being good citizens. Respect the authorities. Whatever their level. They're God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good you could cure the ignorance talk of the fools who think you're a danger to society. Exercise your freedom by serving God. Not breaking the laws. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God and respect the government. <laughs> Powerful words in light of some of the issues we face, isn't it? This morning and next Sunday morning, I want to unpack this section of Scripture, and I want to back up for a while and look at some broader pieces of Scripture in regards to where we are as a nation, what are some of the issues we're facing, and where we are specifically at this moment in American history, and even next Sunday morning, talk about that issue of how we are to vote. Every four years, we have the privilege of doing it. Every year, we certainly have the privilege of doing it, and every four years, the leader of our nation, and I believe as a people of God, we ought to talk about that issue. And we're going to, based on what I'll share with you in just a moment. When you study Scripture, and I'll have these in sermon notes for you next Sunday morning, but when you study Scripture, what I always encourage you to do is to keep at least four things in mind. At least four. One is, when I look at a particular piece of Scripture, what is the context? What is going on around it? What are some of the other verses that surround it? So that I don't take a verse out of context and use it for just something I want to say. The second thing you need to do is to make sure that you understand historical context. Who is the author writing to? And what are the issues he's writing about? It's different for Corinthians as it is for the Ephesians and different in Peter's writing than it may be for Paul's. 
What is the historical context? Who's he writing to? I've, I've got to do some research. I want to find out what that means. The third thing to keep in mind, which is critically important, I'll address it this morning, give you some examples, but that is this. What does all of Scripture say about a particular subject? What does the whole Word of God? This is not just a verse or a composite picture of verses. This is the whole Word of God. So when I want to know what God says about a particular subject, I want to know what God says about the particular subject in His Word. So what does all of Scripture say about this particular subject? Be it the government or some that I'll mention in a moment. And number four, how do I apply it? Once I've read it, once I've seen it, once I understand the context, what does it mean to me? And maybe even more importantly, or just as important, what does it mean to us? What does it mean to a particular body of believers? What does it mean to believers universally? I gave you some examples last Sunday morning of how important all four of those things are. Some of the ones that I mentioned last Sunday morning is the context of how some use the verse where two or three are gathered, God is in the midst. It was used within the context of confrontation, not to be an excuse for a small prayer meeting. I talked about how my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations so that everyone is welcomed in. I talked about how Catholicism has claimed Peter as the first pope when Peter would have denied that vehemently all the way through Scripture. There are dozens of examples like that. The celibacy of priests is based on a few examples in Corinthians. Not overall. Paul said to the elders in, in uh, the Scripture the husbands of, that elders ought to be the husband of one wife. Conclusion many churches have drawn, well then you can't be divorced or signal, single. doesn't say that. Both words were available to Paul, but he's addressing a specific subject. Pentecostals who believe that speaking in tongues is the only evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Threw out some examples in the book of Acts. Yet when you begin beyond Scripture and take the composite picture of Scripture, you can't find evidence of that. And the cessationalists who said that the sign gifts ended in the apostolic age will pick out one or two verses, one specifically out of 1 Corinthians that says, and there will be tongues and they will cease. And they said, see, that doesn't mean they exist today. The Scripture is endlessly filled with subjects like that where people take them out of context or use them for a particular issue as opposed to looking beyond that in the broader context of Scripture. Paul said, I wouldn't have a woman rule over a man. The conclusion some churches have made, women should only teach children then. And then they add somewhere along the way, under 12, no less. Or that women can't be pastors. Yet the gift of pastor given by the Lord to the church in Ephesians chapter 4, where it said, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up is not gender specific. If I wanted to develop my theology on prayer, I would develop my personal theology on prayer out of John 17. Ask whatever you want, I'll do it. I love that verse. Don't you? If you're going to develop your theology on prayer, wouldn't you choose that one? Ask whatever you want and I'll do it. I'm going, that's it. That's my whole theology on prayer. Don't tell me anymore, please. You cannot develop your theology on any given subject based on a verse. You need to broaden that or broaden that to make sure that you understand what does Scripture say about that subject. And so then I back up enough and I look at John 15 where he said, You abide in me and my word abides in you. Then ask what you want. And then I look at James chapter 4 when it says, You better make sure of your motives. And that your motives are pure, that you're asking for the wrong reason. And Corinthians, he talks about asking according to God's will, and James does as well. And the list is endless. As I begin to back up enough to look and see what Scripture says about a given subject, then I'm aware of the fact 
But sometimes it's easy for me to draw some wrong conclusions and make sure that I understand what does the Word of God say about any given subject. Please do not misinterpret what I've said in any of those examples this morning. That I'm setting myself up as knowing more than anybody else who's wrestled with these for 2,000 years. Not at all. All I'm saying is when you examine Scripture about a subject as sensitive as the one we'll talk about this morning and faith in government and how do we respond and how do believers fit into it and what do we do and all of those issues that I look and see what does Scripture say about this subject and how as a believer in Jesus Christ do I respond to what goes on around me. This section of Scripture here this morning gives an amazing platform to talk about two issues, faith and government. Two things many people should never say or believe should be addressed in the same setting. How many of you grew up going to Thanksgiving meals or Christmas events where the two things you never talked about was religion and politics? I remember that growing up. My grandfather was a staunch Republican and my father at that time was a staunch Democrat. I think he's still a Democrat. And I'm telling you, one of the things we waited for every Sunday when we went to their house, it was the old day, went over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we went. We always went there for Sunday and especially for major events. And we waited for the day when those two topics came up. It was like throwing a time bomb in the middle of something and waiting for it to go off. It would be pretty animated, it would be pretty loud, and everybody had a real certain opinion as to what God felt about those issues and how God would address one and how God was on one side and God was on the other side, and it got pretty intense. But God is very clear and very specific about a a lot of issues, and he really does talk clearly and honestly about how as believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to respond to what goes on around us, how we respond as believers to the government, how that fits into our understanding what God's plan is. That means then we need to make sure that we are in the Word of God. And what does he say as opposed to what my grandfather said or my father said or somebody else in my family believes about religion and politics and how they met? God is very open and honest about these issues. Matter of fact, he talks about it way more than many other subjects. These two ought to be talked about. These two ought to be addressed. And I'm telling you, God talks a lot about it. Now remember, everything I want to share with you this morning and next Sunday morning has to fit together and it's in the context of this broader issue. So even though I only address a few this morning, take the time to make sure that you go to the Word of God. Number one, check what I'm saying. Number two, make sure you understand what God teaches about that particular subject because I'm confined to a 30-minute segment and God spends a lot more time talking about bigger issues. God's Word has influence on all of our decisions in life and God's Word was meant to have influence on every decision we make in life and that means i need to understand what does he have to say about how i respond to government how i fit in government what's what's my response to government and even specifically even in this context here how as a believer in christ i vote and what does that mean unless god in his revealed word influences how we make decisions in life, and even how we make specific decisions, in this case by who we elect or who we vote for, and how can we expect God to be the overall arching influencer of our nation. We can't expect God to pour out his blessing on this country when he's been set aside and many times even dismissed from the equation when God very clearly says in his word in Romans 13, there is no authority under heaven but me. And there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are established by God. Which is then why Peter would say, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to those authority. Because he placed them there. 
And many of us, because we don't know how to respond to all of that, aren't sure what to do, but God very clearly addresses the issues. A lot of what I'll share this morning is from a book that Tony Evans gave us a couple of weeks ago when I was at an event with him with Word FM on how Christians should vote, which is a fascinating read. Tony Evans, if you don't know him, is a pastor of an extremely large church in Dallas, Texas. Believe it or not, and don't hold this against him, he's a chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. And it's hard to believe that he would actually come into Steeler country and address us as pastors. But he has really been used by God in amazing ways and has talked a lot about this issue. One of the things we need to understand from the Word of God is that God's in charge. And God alone sits as ruler over all his creation. All other governments are then to reflect his ultimate rule or will eventually one day answer to his ultimate rule. Scripture very clearly tells us that there is no authority apart from God. Not only that, we read that all government authorities are put in place and have been established by God. Now, that does not mean that the people filling those positions within those authorities are intentionally serving God or that their decisions are in line with God because in many cases they are not. But the institution of government has been established by Him. And for that reason, we cannot remove Him from the equation when we discuss this issue. But sadly, much of American society has done that. Our worldview as believers in Jesus Christ has to be based on what we see in the Word of God. And what does it tell us about those issues? One of the things we need to understand when I look at the Scripture to make sure I understand how God views the world around Him, and that is that God is a sovereign God. It simply means God is in control, God is the ultimate authority, and that God is accountable to no one. All things then under that are accountable to Him and Him alone. To acknowledge His sovereignty means that we recognize His jurisdiction and His supremacy over every other area of life. What humanism does is is that it offers an insufficient understanding of the work of God. They attempt to take God and squeeze Him into our box of understanding as to how we think He should work. When humanity needs to understand that God is always the starting point, how do we align ourselves up underneath Him? What the world has done ever since God created us in his image is for then us to try to create God into ours. And God says it won't happen. Trust me. As a result of all of that, socialism and communism in particular use government to suppress religion to a degree that it leaves God out completely. Now the other extreme that we see in many other nations around the world is that they allow people to express their faith in religion, but only a religion decreed by that particular government, and that's not freedom, that's oppression. God never forces his obedience or forces our obedience to his rule. As a supreme ruler, he has allowed us the freedom to obey or disobey. What we need to remember is that disobedience will always result in consequences. You can't discuss government without discussing God. That's because government is divinely ordained by God. The problem arises when we attempt to define a government society or any society without God's involvement at all. See, there are a lot of people in our society that want God to bless America. We just don't want one nation under God. And you cannot have one without the other. God's given us an enormous amount of freedom, freedom to choose whatever direction we want to go. But because He is sovereign ruler over all of creation, what we don't get to choose is the consequences. He will rule by allowing us to 
deal with the consequences of decisions we have made either for him or against him. One example, <clears throat> those who favor the legality of abortion on demand are making a choice against God's law not to take the innocent life of a human being. And because of that, we'll face the consequences of that decision. He's given us the freedom to choose. But he also reminds us very clearly all the way through his word that we will then reap the consequences of those decisions if they violate his word. Under God's rule, he created a a system within the context normally of four very distinct realms. Individual, family, church, and then civil government. Each one having a very specific amount of responsibility and jurisdiction. First one is the individual responsibility. The, the role of, of, of self-government, of individual responsibility, is to make sure that I guide myself and direct myself according to the principles and precepts found in the Word of God, which means what? I'll have to know what they are. When we live in light of what God's Word tells us to do, and it's easier for, for us then to be the kind of citizens in any community, in any situation, in any society, that are good individuals, that are doing the right thing, that are taking responsibility for their actions and their activities. Which is why then Peter would say, live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong things, they will see your good deeds and glorify God in the day He visits us. What does that simply mean? Take responsibility for your actions because how to live a life is clearly laid out in the Word of God. We blame other people. I blame my parents, or I blame my mom, or I blame bad potty training, whatever it may be. And why I'm the way I am, and what I don't do, or what I should do, or what I haven't done. If my small group would have held me more accountable, I wouldn't have gone in this direction. The Word of God very clearly says, I've given you everything you need to live the life that I'm calling you to. Live it. And don't blame others because you haven't or aren't and are now paying the consequences for the ways you violated that. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? God says, I want you to live a holy life. I want you to live a godly life. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to live a way that is very clearly described in my word. And so my responsibility as an individual is live according to that, and the government will recognize that, and people will recognize that because I'm living according to his path. The next type is a family structure. God established the family as a foundation of civilization all the way back in the book of Genesis. The Bible very clearly tells us all the way through what is designed for marriage and what is designed for the family. The Bible tells us that Christ is the head of the husband, husband is the head of the wife, the parents are head of the children. Scripture defines marriage, it defines the family unit. It describes it from beginning to end and it doesn't change. When, when God established the marriage covenant, it was a covenant with Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And God has not changed. You redefine marriage, you'll go against God's intended order. And order is always within the context of marriage as God designed it and defined it, and family as God designed it and finds it. Along with that is also the third level, and that is church government where church leaders have the responsibility to make sure the Word of God is being adhered to within the context of those who call themselves into that church family. And they have the responsibility of saying to those who are part of that church family, you're not walking your life or living your life according to the Word of God, or you are. And encouraging that and correcting when it's not. It also has a broader responsibility beyond the church family, and that is to be a positive influence on society. The church has lost its voice. 
And that's not new to you. But the church has lost its voice on the betterment of society because we've either been so confused over so many issues, even some of the ones that I gave you as an example at the beginning, that we end up fighting with ourselves about issues and circumstances and situations as opposed to being a positive influence on the society around us so that we become the moral conscious of society. Instead, we've been laughed at and ridiculed and set aside as if no one pays attention to anything we do. Fourth system is obviously the civil government. Instituted by God in His kingdom rule on earth. And that is civil government. I find it interesting in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? In heaven? No, on earth. As it is in heaven. Civil government is that system set in place to maintain order, maintain a just environment where freedom can flourish, designed to manage society in an orderly fashion, which is why Peter says what he does in chapter 2, live according to the standards I've laid out. Without civil government, we have chaos. All the way back to the book of Judges, as I said last Sunday morning, where we end up doing what's right in our own eyes. Civil government, though, is to support, not replace the other institutions of individualism, freedom, and church government. Fully expressed and lived out according to the word of God. Peter says that one of the purposes of civil government is to punish those who do wrong and uplift those who do right. Peter says that we should praise those who do right. What I find fascinating in our society is we elevate fame and popularity instead of doing what God's word says we ought to elevate, and that is solid morality. Until those who have that fame and popularity end up doing their own thing, going their own way, and become horrible models for those that are trying to look at who we ought to set up as those that we emulate. He said we ought to also punish those who do wrong and make sure we do everything else according to his word. You see, you can't read the Bible and ignore the political realm. You, you read the, 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 the books of First and Second King and you'll see that God's dealing with government leaders all over the place. John the Baptist condemned the immoral conduct of Herod. In Thessalonica, Paul and his companions were charged with committing treason against Rome because they said there's another king. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 13 protested the evil of Herod's reign. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 were arrested for sharing the truth about Jesus and were told not to do so by those who later is going to write, obey those in authority over you. But then it's why he says at the end, fear God and respect your authority, but fear God always comes first. Which is why Peter and John said, look, you do what you want to to us. We have a higher authority that we're called to obey. And when it usurps what it is that we do here, we'll always obey him. All through the Bible, you see God placing people very strategically in a place of political influence. He moved Joseph into authority in Egypt. He elevated Daniel to a position of influence among the Babylonians. He placed Nehemiah in the Persian government so he could rebuild his community with government support. He made Esther queen in Persia and Deborah, Deborah judge in Israel, all to accomplish his agenda and follow out his will. We also need to remember that when a government sets itself up as God or against God, it is in for a short run when we look at the long place of human history because there's only one king, and that is God and his son Jesus Christ. The further a government drifts from God, which means the 
set itself up as its own God, as you'll see in Nebuchadnezzar's case, the more it sets itself up for God to intervene and judge. The problem comes when civil government tries to be more than it was designed to be or fails to protect and promote that which it was designed to protect and promote, family and the church. Civil government was never created to be our parent. When it expands and reaches beyond the other spheres of what it was designed to do, then it's gone beyond its divinely ordained scope. So the question remains, what do we do? What is our response as believers? What does God call us to do? Well, and here in Peter, he said, live such good lives that they'll see your good deeds and be drawn to the God that you serve. Submit yourself to them. Where else do we see in Scripture God's people being called to do? Well, when God announced to Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham intervened. He put himself in a place between God and Sodom and pleaded with God to spare the city if he could find ten righteous people. When Israel built the golden calf in the wilderness, God was so angry with his people, he wanted to destroy the nation, the ones that he called precious to himself. But Moses again intervened and prayed. Put himself between God and the people in fascinating verse in Exodus chapter 2, one of the most amazing in all of Scripture, where it said, and God changed his mind. Nehemiah prayed that God would restore Israel. Esther put herself literally with her life on the line to spare the Jews from a decree that would wipe them out. You see, if righteous people do nothing, there's no reason that God should not bring judgment on society. And if his people sit in the sidelines, there's no one else to stay the hand of God. The problem with many people is we're looking for salvation by the government, putting our hopes in the political realm, but God warns us that we put our confidence in the wrong things, there will be judgment to pay. That's why Jesus refused to make himself a political savior. Chuck Colson said the Democrats are looking for a Democratic Savior. The Republicans, as he said it years ago, are looking for a Republican Savior. And the Independents, looking for an Independent Savior. But God has been sitting on the throne since the beginning of time saying, I am the only Savior. And he went on to say the ultimate source of our culture's problems will not land on Air Force One. Peter said, fear God, honor the King. And that's the always, always been the order of that we follow. So what do we do? And how as a people do we respond to what God is calling us to do in the broader context of Scripture? And what happens if we go to war? I'll answer some of those questions next Sunday morning. The first thing that I see all the way through Scripture when I begin to read it again, as many times as I could find when God's people are either facing judgment or a nation that is really on the edge, that He calls them to do that classic thing that we've heard over and over again out of the book of Chronicles, to pray. But he doesn't just simply say pray. He starts with the words confess, then pray, and seek my face. Well, Nehemiah recognized that his nation of Israel, as we studied last year, was in duress and had been literally torn down. You find him doing the very first thing that I'm asking us to do, and many people have been asking our followers to do over the last number of months, and that is to pray. But as we pray, one thing you'll see Nehemiah doing is confessing. Confessing his sins and then seeking God's face. The believers in Christ, it's easy to pick the topics that we're most familiar with. It's easy to talk about the issue of abortion. It's easy to talk about the issue of same-sex marriages and what that entails. 
But what I want to remind you of what the Spirit of God reminded me this morning is there are other issues that it's easy for us to ignore. So we may as a nation want our nation to confess these other issues, but we as believers don't talk much about lying or gossiping or gluttony or some of the other issues. We just elevate the big ones that we think our society is going to pay the price for. And God says there's a lot of issues that we're ignoring. Slander, gossip, lying, and the list is endless. So when you begin to pray for our nation, and those top two issues or maybe the top three or four come to your mind, what I'm asking you to do is to remember what the Word of God clearly tells us. Sin is sin, however you label it. And sin cannot be ignored. It will be punished. And there are consequences to pay. So as I begin to pray for my nation, and as I'm asking you to pray for your nation, I want us to do what God's Word very clearly tells us we ought to do. Begin with confession. Seek His face. Come to Him in prayer. And then He said, I will hear, and I will heal. This morning and next Sunday morning, we're going to finish in prayer, corporately. A lot of people have been doing it personally and as a family, and I hope you do between now and November 6th, and I hope you do it well after November 6th until Jesus comes back. But this morning, just for these last few moments, I'd love for us to do it corporately. Not out loud, not to put anybody on the spot at all. But as we begin to seek God's face for this nation and where we are and what we're dealing with and some of the issues you'll hear about tonight and what's going to happen to us in the future and what will happen if we end up being the target of so many nations around the world who hate us so vehemently, what do we do? How do we respond? One of the things God's Word tells us is to pray. But as we pray, let's confess. Be really honest before God personally, and then seek his face, and then I'll close together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, hear us. Very clearly tells us, you bend your head over heaven to hear what it is your children have to say. So as we obey your word, we come to you in confession and adoration. We plead with you to intervene hear us as we begin the process that you've called us to do. stand amazed at how your word addresses every issue of life. Just when we think it may not have any words for us and we are reminded again of how relevant, powerful and contemporary it is even though it's so old. And so Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word and reminding us again of what you've put in place. Help us as a people of God to respect that, to honor that 
and then to listen to your voice as to how we respond to a society that seems to be going in so many different wrong directions. I know you've heard us this morning as we have confessed before you, as we have sought your face, and as we continue to do that in these weeks and months together. May you constantly continue to remind us of your incredible love for us as individuals and your passionate love for this world. I know there will come a point of destruction when it will cease to exist. But I also know your word says you're holding off so that none perish but all come to repentance. And so until that day, keep us seeking your face and sharing your truth with those who are lost and have no idea which way to go. Because the answer is always in you. Thank you again for the power of your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.